So we're going to look this morning at Philippians 3, 16 through 19. That text is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. But before I read that, let me uh, pray and uh, then we'll dive in. Uh, Lord, as we come to you today, we confess uh, our weakness, as we've already sung. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we pray all the time in your prayer to deliver us from uh, evil. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us see what that is today. Lord, I pray, too, that you would uh, magnify before us, make big before us your cross uh, and its work on our behalf. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Philippians three sixteen through 19, a text is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Um, So a couple of weeks ago, our uh, grandson spent the night with us. We do that periodically where he comes over, gives mom and dad a chance to go out and uh, uh, act like a married couple and... um, so he comes over and it gives us an opportunity to act like grandparents. And, uh, you know, it's about 24 hours where we can do what we want with him. And uh, and believe me, he can do what he wants, too. So uh, so we do that. So we had a great evening, uh, put him to bed. And uh, I, around one o'clock, I start hearing him stir a little bit. And, uh, you know, you always have this debate like, well, do I just let him? Is he going to? Go back to sleep. What's he going to do? So by 1.30, it was clear he wasn't going to go back to sleep. So I went and got him um, and, you know, trying to figure out what's wrong. Nothing's obviously wrong. And, you know, kids just wake up in the middle of the night. Um, and so, like, what am I going to do with him? Putting him back in his porta crib you know, in the guest room doesn't seem like a good thing. So I'm going to put him into bed with his grandmother which I put him in the bed, you know, I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And uh, he doesn't think so. And so uh, he hops right out of the bed in the dark, haven't turned the lights on, and he's familiar enough in our house to feel very comfortable with hopping up in the dark, walking out of our bedroom and heading for the stairs, to go down the stairs in the dark. And as I realize at my 1.30 a.m., and by the way, if you're judging us for doing this, forget it, because... He's my grandson, and when he's in my house, if he wakes up in the middle of the night and I want to put him in our bed, I'm going to do it. I don't care what you think, right? So, so it doesn't, you can, you can judge us all you want on that. That's fine. You know, that, that judgment gets about this far and I go on about my business. Anyway, um, so I, as I run out of the bedroom, I see him there and he's at the top of the stairs in the dark. So I grabbed him by the hand and um, took hold of him and put him back in the bed, and he slept till 7.30. Um, that, he reminds me a lot of myself, and that is that I feel mostly confident that I can go and do what I want to do, even in the darkness, 
And I don't really need any help or anybody to hold me, to hold on to me, uh, because I'm quite self-sufficient. Except when I'm a little sick or a little sad or that sort of thing. But most days, I'm just fine. And I do my work, do my things, and, and I'm okay. What you have to see about the text that we've read today is there's a temptation when we read this text to think that what Paul is saying, especially when we read about these terrible people uh, who are in the church, who walk as enemies of the cross, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. What we could tend to think about that is, is those people that are in the church who think that what the gospel means is they can do whatever they want. Right? But the fact is, the, the, the truth is what we have to see here is, is that Paul is laying bare to us a warning that is for every member of the church. Every Christian. Because he begins this text, and Brian, you can go ahead and put my notes up there. Let us hold true to what we have attained. Now remember, you know, what he's saying here is that, that, that as he speaks earlier in, in the text, he says not that he's already taken hold, but he makes every effort to take hold. So what is he getting at here? Well, one of the things that we, we could think is, you know, well, I've attained a lot in my Christian life. You know, I am, I have done a lot. I've, I've read the Bible through a few times. I have uh, given a lot of money to the church. I have served in this way and I have done this. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. And so I need to hold on to what I have attained. But what's interesting about this is, as Paul just said last week, as we looked, that he had not arrived. That he had not gotten to the place yet where he was, uh, um, you know, a, a, a spiritual, uh, you know, um, giant. He doesn't say that about himself. What he says is, is that he forgets what's behind and he presses on forward, entrusting himself fully into the work that Christ has done for him. So what he says here is, is that he, that we are to hold on to what we've attained. What have we attained? We've attained the fact that Jesus Christ has laid hold of us. What has been attained for us is that we belong to Jesus. What has been attained for us is that Jesus Christ has done this work on our behalf. And our hope and our trust in this is not that we hold on to something, but that he holds on to us. And this is foundational. If you think this morning that in the end, that what matters as you, as we'll sing when we sing Rock of Ages in a little bit, when you stand at the judgment, that you held on to Jesus, then there's no wonder that we are fraught with all sorts of temptations and all sorts of difficulties. Because the fact is, in the chain that holds us to Jesus Christ, in the thing that links us to him, in the thing that joins us to him, if, if the last link in that chain is depending upon my faithfulness, my abilities, my, my work in any way, shape, or form, then that chain will break. It will break. It breaks every day. But if our hope and our trust in that chain is in that last link that ties me to Jesus Christ was forged in his blood, forged on his cross, and his work for me, then I can rest assured, I can have joy, I can, I can hold on to and be held on to, because I know Jesus won't let go. 
Just as my grandson decides, you know what, I can go up and down these stairs as much as I want to. Well, no, you can't. You think you can, but I got you. Listen, Jesus wasn't kidding. He wasn't kidding. He wasn't speaking hyperbole, you know, to make a point when he said, without me, you can do nothing. We have no life outside of him. And that's not to make us feel bad or to wreck our self-esteem. Rather, it's to build our confidence in the fact that we are so well-loved that nothing can snatch us from his hand. Nothing can take, take his hold away from us, that we belong to him and he belongs to us. And, and, and that, that which we have attained, that knowledge, that understanding, that appreciation is the thing that grounds us as we follow after Jesus Christ, right? So, so as we grow, we must remember that it's only because Jesus has taken hold of us that we can take hold of him in any way, shape, or form, right? Next slide. So he goes on to, say, to, to fill this out for us by saying, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to, brothers, join in imitating me as you hold on to what we've attained. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, what Paul is saying, and isn't that ironic that Paul is saying follow his example when he's just said in a few verses before this that he's not perfected, that he hasn't attained perfection, that he hasn't arrived, right? He hasn't achieved uh, uh, any kind of sinless perfection. And yet he says to them, listen, you need to imitate me and you should imitate. I think he's talking here about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Be like us. Listen, I, I got to tell you the. Maybe the hardest thing a pastor, elder, teacher might ever do is stand in front of a group of people and say, do as I do. Do it like me. Right? Elders, leaders, teachers. That's, that's something, isn't it? To be able to stand in front of folks and say, you know what? Do it like me, even as you've said, I haven't attained yet. So what, what is it? What is it that he wants to be imitated? What is it that about Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul that, that is for us to be imitated? Well, we are, we're tempted to imitate their gifts, their abilities. We're tempted to uh, uh, imitate their achievements. All of those things, right, would, would, uh, would, 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 would tempt us. But what, what I think what he's getting at is, no, the, the imitation that we have is the humble reliance Upon Jesus Christ for all that we are and that all that we have and all that we will ever have. And rather than looking to these other things that we would put our trust in or our attainment or our achievements, those are the things that we we tend to think, you know, I want to be like this person who's achieving a lot. Where I think what Paul really is saying is, no, you need you need to you need to imitate the part of me, that of me that simply rests in the work of Christ. They didn't have Pinterest in the first century. Do you know what that is, Pinterest? I'm not really sure what it is. But I know it's a thing that you look at to see some cute thing that somebody else is doing, and so you can do it too. Actually, you can take it and make it even better. And then, and then you know, kind of compete with other people that do the same thing to say, I took your idea and I made it better, right? Um, isn't it funny that, 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 that we do that? We're, human beings are imitators. 
right? I have never had an original idea in my life. (laughs) Everything I've ever thought, it was what somebody else wrote or what somebody else said or what I watched somebody else do. I, I don't have any original thoughts. That's too much work. I'll let somebody else do the work. I'll copy what they did, right? With proper attribution, of course. But, uh, but, but, but the, the, the fact of the matter is we're, we're always looking for people to imitate. We're always looking for people to be like. He was at the early service, and I, I couldn't use this illustration, but I will use it now. You know, when, when we first started the church, and I, you know, I, my background is not the typical background of a person in, in the West End of Richmond. In fact, I had some of you even say to me, Steve, can you really pastor a church in the West End? You know, you're a little rough around the edges. And so I looked around and I looked at Johnny Minor and I thought, you know what? Look at the way that guy dresses. Khakis, gray or blue, you know, nice little sweater, loafers, no socks. I'm going to look like that guy. Right? I might, I might. I might not be able to, to be as smooth and as cool as his. I certainly can't hit a golf ball like he can. But you know what? I can dress like that. I can look like him. And, and so, you know, pleated pants, even, even in, you know, your blue jeans. You get, you get pleats in them, right? You look just, that, that's what you want to look like. So, so the fact is we're, we're always looking for, for people to imitate, aren't we? We're always looking for models, that sort of thing. Well, well, well the fact is we are surrounded by witnesses, That's one of the great beauties of being in the church is that we are surrounded by people who are following Jesus simply. We're surrounded by people who are simply taking a step day by day uh, in in repenting and entrusting themselves in, in horrible situations, in normal situations, but are just simply following him. What we tend to think and what we tend to move ourselves into, and one of the ways that we misread the Bible is, is that we think that the important people in the Bible are the people whose names we know. But the fact of the matter is, the people of God for millennia, you who followed Jesus Christ, who walked after him, you don't know their names. They lived, they died. They repented, they trusted, they married, they worked. And in all of that, they were simply following Jesus. And in the end, one day we will be all together and we'll see and hear and be even more aware of the testimonies. You know, the the fact is the the profound testimonies that, that might move us and might change us and might encourage us are those testimonies of the people that we don't see. But we're always grasping after some sort of significance or something else, aren't we, that we think might matter, even within the church. And even one of the ways that we might do that is we might be tempted here to make ourselves an enemy of the cross by touting and trusting our accomplishments. Could that be? Could the most religious, the most observant among us actually be an enemy of the cross? It's hard to think about, isn't it? But but one of the ways that I think that happens is, is the way we kind of think about our achievements and our lives and the way we go about doing things. I I don't I don't think this is out of out of 
place right of school because the, the announcement was made on Friday, but uh, my wife is retiring after 20 years of teaching. She'll finish out the school year and she'll be done. It's hilarious to see people's response to that. You know, you don't speak ill of the dead or the retiring. So people who a week ago might have thought, gee, I will be glad when you retire, are now saying, oh, please don't leave us. How are we ever going to make it? That's pretty funny. But uh, one, of the, one of the email responses she got was, oh, Mrs. Shelby, you've done so much. You know, when you get to heaven, you're going to have so many crowns. She doesn't worship here, obviously. And uh, she might, Marty, very lovingly and appropriately responded, yes, and I'll throw them all at Jesus' feet. And <laughs> they're like, well, why would you do that? <laughs> they're your crowns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is a Christian school. But... Uh, one of the, one of the one of the things that it, it, I, I tell you that and and you know she's going to have way more crowns than than most of us that, that no no doubt about that but but the fact is the the reality that we have to settle ourselves in on here is that what we have we've only been given right and so as we think about this and as we read this text, that's, that's exactly what Paul has been getting at in this whole chapter. Because remember, there are those people who come and who are, who are tempting the Philippians to think that there are gradations within the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That, that there are some, some really great Christians and they do all the right things and then there are just the kind of the run of the mill Christians that, that they've, uh, that they haven't added all these things to the righteousness of Christ. You know, that, it, it may seem to you that when you read this where, where Paul says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Listen, if, if uh, your mind today is set upon pleasure at the expense of anything else, this text addresses you. You are, you are in danger of walking as an enemy of the cross. But listen, listen. Most of those kinds of people don't, don't stick around a church like this very long. So what kind of people in this room might be enemies of the cross? Well, these kind of people, the people whose end is destruction because... Their trust ultimately is in what will not deliver. Their God is their belly. In the first century, the, uh, there was a temptation, there was a division often within the church about the Old Testament dietary regulations. In other words, the, that, the, that people made the God their, uh, what, what, what they ate, that they were obedient to those, to those regulations. They glory in their shame. In other words, they, they take what they believe is, are their religious uh, achievements and they rest in those because all of those things are earthly things. They're fleshly things. And they put us in opposition to the cross of Christ. Because what we have to recognize is that in the, in, in the final analysis, what, what matters, what matters is that the cross counts for us. 
What matters is that we have the sacrifice of Christ and that we have his work because that is what holds us. That is what uh, uh, that is what determines that our identity. We tend to, to look at one another and we tend to think about what what really uh, matters is is our personal achievements and those sorts of things. And as great as those things are, in the end, we if we trust those things, if we give our hearts to those things then what happens to us is we, we, we place ourselves as enemies of the cross. The Puritans used to say, you know, love Jesus, use the world, rather than use Jesus and love the world. Right? Our tendency is to, to love the world and use Jesus to kind of prop ourselves up. But if our hearts are set upon the cross of Christ, of what he's achieved for us, then our use of the world will take care of itself. We'll put things in their proper place. We'll put our trust in the proper place. You and I are tempted all the time to put our hope and our trust in anything other than Christ. And when we do that, we make ourselves enemies of the cross. Thankfully, thankfully Jesus knows that. In fact, the New Testament is very clear. When we were yet sinners, when we were his enemies, Jesus died for us. Jesus is about the work constantly of turning his enemies into friends. And so though we may be tempted to let go of him, he never lets go of us and he holds us. And sees us through to the end. That's our hope and our trust today. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. But that nothing else, that one thing, is wide and big and full and free. Take your joy in that today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we we thank you today for this truth. I pray that you would... Uh, keep us from um, uh, trusting in anything other than your cross. Pray that it would loom large in our hearts and our lives, that it would loom large in our joy, um, and that it would loom large in our selection of people to imitate. Would you do that work uh, for us? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's confess uh, our sins by using this confession that's printed in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Pray with me. Lord God Almighty, your understanding is unsearchable and infinite. Your arm cannot be stayed. Holy is your wisdom, power, mercy, ways, works. How can I stand before you with my numberless offenses? I have often loved darkness, observed lying vanities, forsaken your given mercies, trampled underfoot your beloved son, mocked your providences, flattered you with my lips, broken your covenant. It is only in light of your compassion that I am not consumed. At the cross, may I contemplate the evil of sin and abhor it. May I look on him whom I pierced as one slain for me and by me. 
May I never despise his death by fearing its efficacy for my salvation. And whatever cross I am required to bear, let me see Jesus suffering mine. 